Allow me to, uh, to read it for us. We're going to read. We'll, we will be focusing our thoughts today on uh, most of chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 16. By the way, I just I feel I, I, I need to say um, I was reading the book of Acts a few weeks ago, and I came across that uh, account or that story where Paul was preaching and somebody fell asleep and fell out of a window. And that, as, a, as a preacher, that made me feel really good about myself because if Paul, who is Paul, preaches and people fall asleep, I don't, I don't feel so bad. Um, so I realize it's early. I realize it, one of the funny things about church is that one of the funny things about preaching is that we, this is a medium that is like, you know, I'm basically up here, it, 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 essentially the style is a lecture, but it's different because it's preaching, it's from God's word, and so we think, you know, we believe that there's something else to it than that. But just the medium of lecturing, you know, when, when I was looking at college courses, I tried to avoid the ones that were just lecture. So it's kind of funny that God chose this medium to, to use to... Uh, um, express his word in a, in a church setting. And, uh, but anyway, so all that to say, I get it. If you feel like, you know, you're feeling a little bit drowsy, that's fine. Just make sure you silence your phones, please, so that if something goes off, you know, it, it, we won't hear it. So, okay, enough of that. Allow, allow me to read um, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll start in verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners. For the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and their mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this opportunity to open it together and to read and to study together, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now. I pray, Father, that the words that are spoken from this place would be yours. Lord, we ask that you would express your word to us this morning. Teach us, God. Use your word to cut through us, to change our hearts and change our minds. And we give all the praise and glory to Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. There it is. <laughs> uh, in preparation for today, I came to a bit of a, of a realization that um, I stand before you this morning with a bit of urgency. Um, you know, as I, as I grow in my faith, as I, as I read and study God's word, and as I, uh, lately, I think in this past year, I've really tried to grasp and, and wrap my mind around um, the sovereignty of the Lord, the sovereignty of God, and just how, <laughs> how much in control he is, which is to say that he is completely and utterly in control, and... Um, you know, my life as a, as a, as a man, as a, a husband, as a father, as a, a, a pastor, you know, I, I'm realizing more and more every day that I am at the mercy of, of our Lord. And um, there could be, well, let me put it this way. I feel a sense of urgency today uh, because... I just, I, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know, you know, this could be the last time that I stand up here in front of you for a myriad of reasons. God could uh, call me home. I, you know, the church could burn down. Well, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I, you, you get what I'm saying. I feel a sense of urgency because I never know when it will be the last time that I can stand in front of people and proclaim God's word. Not just here, but anywhere. And so, as I was reading and studying uh, this passage this week, and I came across just the third word, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, I, I could feel and sense the urgency with which Paul is writing to Timothy. And so I just mirror that today, that there is an urgency to this message. Uh, that, was, that is where Paul is writing from. He says that I urge you when I was going to Macedonia to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach. So let me give you the context of this passage before we dig into it. First Timothy is one of the pastoral letters. Um, and Paul here is urging Timothy, and he says it a few more times throughout the book, uh, urging Timothy to remain, stay in the city of Ephesus to help establish the churches. Now, there is debate amongst pastors and scholars as to whether Timothy was a pastor 
uh, or if he was kind of the bishop or overseer of all of the churches. Uh, throughout the letter, Paul does give him the description of, of overseers and deacons. Um, some would use the word elders. Uh, and so I think Timothy's job was what Paul wanted him to do. The urgency that he had was to establish these churches and begin to put leadership, a leadership structure within the churches. But more on top of that, Paul was urging him to stay at Ephesus so that he may charge certain persons. And he does name them later on in the book, I, I believe later on in chapter 1. But he urges Timothy to charge certain persons not to teach. And why would that be? Because these certain persons were not teaching, they, they were not to teach because they were wrapped up in what Paul calls in verse 4, myths and genealogies. In other words, they were all consumed with this religious kind of babble uh, of the day, things that did not really matter. In fact, things that were contrary to sound doctrine. They were counter to the gospel. And these different doctrines were causing speculation. Uh, they were causing confusion amongst the churches. And so Paul urges Timothy to stay there to charge these people, these certain persons, not to teach these things. In fact, not to be teachers at all uh, because they were causing confusion and they were disrupting the, the work that he had done, the establishment of these churches and the presentation and the expounding of the gospel. What they were studying, what they were uh, teaching, as I said, was kind of religious babble, but it was counter to the message that Paul had brought, the gospel. And so these me the messages uh, were, were telling people that they didn't have to respond to the gospel, they didn't have to repent and put their faith in Jesus, and they didn't necessarily need to repulse their sin. And so Paul urges Timothy to stay there at Ephesus to establish these churches and to charge these persons not to teach. Now, to look at this passage this morning, I want to break it down into three parts. Number one is the aim, and then the law, as Paul mentions it, and then the gospel. I love the way that Paul writes. He starts in verse 3 by saying, I urge you, to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And then here in verse 5, he gives a little bit of clarity. He says, The aim of our charge is love that issues, excuse me, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The charge was to not teach different doctrines. And the aim of that charge, the goal, the end result of that charge, was love, that he says issues, it springs from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And the word that he uses here for love is an action word. It is action love, a love that goes, confronts, but of course in a loving way. The action here, and when, when I dug into the word here a little bit, um, I came across some interesting notes. Uh, this action love 
is a love that goes and shares a meal with an enemy to gently and charitably point out error. And that's the kind of, that is the aim of the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy. That he is to go in love and to confront these people in love, and that when he goes, it should come from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Paul is charging Timothy with this task to love on these certain persons because they have swerved away in their consumption, in their intoxication of these uh, counter, or or I'll say anti-gospel, these anti-gospel myths and genealogies that they are getting into. They have swerved away. They themselves have swerved away from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Because they were devoting themselves to things that ultimately did not matter. They were devoting themselves to vain things. As Paul says. So, in love, let me say this to you. In our own time and in our own day, there are movements and there are devices out there that would ultimately fit into the category of what Paul here says, vain discussions. They cry for justice, for this cause or for that cause, or here's a tool to help you better understand people, never mind that these causes and devices deny the real root of the problem, and that is sin. These vain devices want to see change and justice while the very worldview on which they are built denies the real problem, the total depravity of man, and ultimately denies the Savior who would bring true justice and the true change that they supposedly seek. So Paul is telling him to charge these persons not to teach because ultimately what they are doing is destructive to the church. The result is those who subscribe to these causes or in Timothy's day, these myths, these genealogies, these vain things, they feel entitled because they have this special knowledge, they feel entitled to teach how things should go. For example, the law. They, have, they feel an obligation because they have this special knowledge above everyone else that they are to teach the law. But Paul says the problem is, is that they don't understand the law. And not only that, they don't even understand the things that they think they're talking about. I love how he says here in verse 7, they desire to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Have you ever just been completely wrong about something, but you were wrong 150%? There, I can think of countless times in my life where I have been completely wrong about something, but I thought I was 100% right. And I just go full on into a brick wall. (laughs) And then when I get there, realize, oh, 
I was definitely wrong about that. When I was uh, just out of high school, Jack, pay attention to this. When I was just out of high school, I thought I knew everything. If my mom was here, she could tell you horror stories of just the absolute disaster that I was because you couldn't tell me anything different than what I thought I knew. The same result happens with these people. They think they know. I love, he uses the phrase here, um, without understanding either what they are saying or the things of which they make confident assertions. And for me, it literally took me banging my head and my car and everything else into brick wall after brick wall after brick wall until I realized I don't know nothing. And I, I need the Lord to teach me. So I just, I, I love this phrase, that they make confident assertions. And Paul says they really have no idea what they're talking about. Nor do they understand the law, which they feel entitled to teach. They don't understand it. They don't understand what it's for. And that's why Paul brings it up here. He goes on to say, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is good when used correctly. And the correct use of the law is, is to make me aware of my sin. The law should act like a mirror. That when I look into it, I see I do not measure up. I do not meet God's standard. And therefore, I need a Savior. My sin is overwhelming. I cannot take care of it on my own. I cannot follow this law all by myself. I need help. I need a Savior. I need somebody to come and save me. Paul's statement in verse 9, the law is laid down for sinners in order to shine a light on their sin and lead them to repentance. That was the purpose of the law. Now, those who make these confident assertions, these certain persons, would use the law more as a club to beat us over the head to tell us how things should be. Which is why here Paul says, he brings up the law. He says, they don't even know what it's for. That we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding the law is not laid down for those who are just but for the unjust. The law was meant to point out our sin and to lead us to repentance. And I love how Paul here, he goes through, uh, I don't know if you noticed this in the first reading over of, of verse 9 here. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and their mothers. Does any of this sound familiar? Paul uses the outline of the Ten Commandments, the law, in order to, to create this list. So he says the lawless and disobedient, and that reflects the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. For the ungodly and sinners, you shall make for yourself no carved images. 
the unholy and profane. This is kind of two things in one. You shall not take uh, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Those who strike their fathers and the mothers, honor your father and mother. For murderers, you shall not murder. The sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality shall not commit adultery. Enslavers shall not steal. Liars and perjurers shall not bear false witness. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, you shall not covet. Paul uses the Ten Commandments, the law, to lay out this list. He uses the, the, the Ten Commandments here are listed to point out this idea that the law is meant to point to our sin. And worldviews outside of the gospel want to use the law, or at least their version of it, to execute, or excuse me, to excuse, to cover their sin rather than to repent and abandon it. You know, Jesus said in the Gospels that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But if we are ignoring these ten commandments, we are ignoring the law, instead of repenting and turning from it, we're not loving God, we're not fulfilling that commandment. Ignoring the law means that you're hating God. Because he's the one who gave us the law, again, in order to point out our need for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit any of these, will, will, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. In Galatians chapter 5, starting verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength if we are ignoring the things that are in the law. The law should direct me to abandon my sin, not to cover for it or to revel in it. This is this is the sound doctrine in accordance, well, let me go through, in accordance with the gospel. And that's what Paul mentions here. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And I love what he says here in verse 16. Excuse me, uh, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul really brings it home here in verse 15, and he does it in two parts. Number one, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Loved ones, that right there is the gospel. 
we were made in God's image. And Adam, our federal head, the representative for all of mankind, disobeyed. And because he disobeyed and brought sin into the world, those who came after him in ordinary generations have that sin nature. You know, I have conversations with people who, they like to say, well, you know, that's not really fair. It's not fair that we're all wrapped up in Adam. I don't think I like that. And I say, yeah, me neither. (laughs) But that's the way, that is how it happened, that Adam was the representative of all mankind. And because he sinned, we now as human beings, everyone who came after him from ordinary generations, has that sin nature. And usually those conversations go, well, if it was me, I wouldn't have disobeyed. Well, we all like sheep have gone astray. So I think even if that sin, let's just put that sin nature aside for a minute. The scripture says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. So even sin nature aside, we would still have disobeyed God because that is the nature of human beings. We want to go our own way. But the gospel says at the right time, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, not of ordinary generation, but born of a woman, to die the death that we deserve. He takes our sins and gives us his righteousness. This is the gospel that Paul preached to this church. This is the message that Paul is urging Timothy to continue to teach and to preach in Ephesus. This is the message that these vain discussions do not promote. This is the message that is actually counter to those vain discussions. They don't teach this. And that is why, ultimately, they are destructive. So Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul goes on, of which I am the foremost. And I think, my friends, this should be the position and posture of all of us. And this is not a a self-deprecating thing. This is not to despise yourself. I think this is just an accurate view of looking at who we are. This should be the position of all of us. That when I look at the law, I see that I am a sinner. I am dead in my sins. And I need Jesus to bring me back. I need Christ Jesus to bring me back to life, as Ephesians chapter 2 says. The purpose of all of this, Paul writes is in verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. For this purpose, as, as a sinner, Jesus saved me. He had mercy on me. And because he saved me, he gets all of the glory 
and all of the praise. Now, I began with urgency, so let me end with urgency. What drew me to this passage this week to, to bring this morning was this idea of vain discussions. And I just want to say these two things and then, then we'll be done. We need to make sure that we are keeping ourselves from vain discussions and our focus needs to be on the gospel in order to truly make any kind of difference, any kind of impact in this world. The gospel is the only thing that will do it. The only thing that we can use to move forward and to make a difference in this world. Now, I might have been up here talking about this, talking about these certain persons, and you might be sitting there thinking, I know some certain persons that might need to hear this. Let me urgently give you this warning. If you think that's you, you had best better read the beginning verses of this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You had better make sure that you are about to approach this person in love and that this charge is coming from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Because as I stand before you today, I will tell you, you will do more damage to that person and more damage to the gospel if you go in guns ablazing without checking yourself at the door first. The aim of our charge is love. Paul urged Timothy to confront these, these certain persons, not to pick on them, not to satisfy or fulfill some weird desire to be right, Paul charged Timothy to approach these, per these certain persons in love so that the gospel could continue to flourish, not to damage the gospel further. There is a huge movement on the outskirts of Christianity today called deconstruction. By the way, none of this is in my notes. I'm, we're, I'm just talking now. There is a huge movement on the outskirts of Christianity today called deconstruction. And the vast majority of those who identify that they are going through that can, take, can trace this, this start in them back to a point when somebody in church hurt them. And I mean deeply hurt them. And my heart breaks for that person. Because 
in Christ, we should have the freedom to go to each other in love and to say, I see this thing in your life and I just, I'm not sure if it lines up with the scriptures. But we need to make sure that we're doing it in love. Realizing that I am not above anyone else. I am the foremost of sinners. And the only reason that I can stand here or approach certain persons is because of the love and the mercy that I have received in Christ. And I want to see the gospel flourish in you, my friend, as it has in me. And so we have this urgency. There is an urgency that our approach to every person needs to come from love. The charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Well, the Holy Spirit's telling me that I'm done, so <laughs> let's pray together. Father, I thank you once again for your word. I thank you that we live in a, in a country where we can, uh, that we can open it freely together. We never want to take advantage of that, Lord. We never want to uh, mis misuse that privilege and that responsibility. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray that we would take these words of Paul and that we would truly and sincerely take them to heart. That there are vain discussions out there, things that we do, should not be involved in, Things that we, that are ultimately counter to the gospel, counter to the message that you have given us to give to the world. And so, Lord, we, we know that we need to be careful. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us and show us those, those vain discussions that we need to avoid. But, Father, I pray as we, as we go about our lives and as we see brothers and sisters who may be straying from the gospel, the sound doctrine, as, as, your word, as Paul says in your word. Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of these verses and that if we feel led by you to speak to someone, it should be from our charge should, is love and it should issue from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to discern those things. We thank you, Lord. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Daphne, I'm sorry to make you walk all the way to the piano. Um, I was hoping, could we stand and just sing the doxology a cappella? Would that be okay? Would you sing with me?
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. As a benediction, I'd like to read the next verse, 1 Timothy 1:17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. May you go in peace this week.